0: Hello, and welcome to episode 47 of the We're All Screwed Up and That's Okay podcast with me, Dawn Walton. Today, I want to talk about memories and I want to help you understand how easy it is to change memories. What we're talking about here is neuroscience and, most specifically, neuroplasticity. If you think about how many moments you experience in your life, there's millions. In fact, there's something like 7,363,228 minutes that you experience by the time you're 14 years old. Now, thinking about that in practical terms, there's no way you can remember everything. And even if you try to remember everything, how could you access it quickly? How could you get to it? you wouldn't be able to function because you'd be just sitting there in a frozen state trying to find a memory. That's not good for survival. For survival, you need to be always able to access if something's risky or if something's safe so that you can just get on with your life. And in fact, we know from people who've experienced trauma in the background or in the past where they lose access to a lot of the key memories about what is and isn't safe, that they end up in this permanently unsafe state, which can cause lots of the problems that people experience from trauma. So memories are interesting things. So you don't store memories in their purest form. You store them as a link to other ones that have similar meanings. And you only keep the memories that have meanings. You only keep the memories and it can be happy. But actually, more often, it's something where there was something that hurt you because that's actually the critical one for survival. So unfortunately, you have way more of the critical, risky, hurtful memories that are easily accessible than you do of the happy ones. So let's think about the structure of memories. You start storing and creating these as soon as your brain is actually physically able to, which is somewhere around the age of six, seven, eight years old, where your brain starts growing the gray matter and you can actually put words around and meaning around what happens. Before that you do have memories, of course you have memories, but they're very emotional rather than uh, with any kind of wordage or visuals and all of that sort of stuff that goes with them. And and so your brain is learning. We've talked in previous podcast episodes about how you learn as you grow up from those things that you need to remember to be able to access really quickly, like this massive database or rule book that's created. And you have different types of memories. You have autobiographical memories, which are just this happened, then this happened, then this happened. So we could think about in my life, when I try and think of autobiographical memories, I can think about the time where I lived with my mother and father, and then my mother had left and I was living with my mother, my father and my stepmother. And then I went to live with my mother and my stepfather, and then I went to university. And at university, I met the guy who ended up being my husband. So when I left university, I went into work, and from then on, I'd been with my husband. But I can also tell you, like you can, the the places I've lived, the place, the jobs I had, in a very non-meaning autobiographical-based way. I can I can do things that that don't have meaning in them. I can um, change the fuse in a plug, and <laughs> go figure. I can you know I can cook dinner. I can do a whole bunch of of things that are not about meaning. They're about repetition-based tasks that I've learned how to do. So I have pathways. Are based on those tasks. All of those kind of run in the background on this kind of semi automatic state. And I say semi automatic because if you've ever tried to get through a day when you've had almost no sleep, or um, you're incredibly stressed and you're suffering from brain fog, or you're really ill and suffering from brain fog, my friend calls them brain frogs, which I think is actually a bit easier to say, or um, you have just been struggling for so long you'll have things or you're pregnant for example um then your cognitive function is very very limited because that's recharged overnight if you listen to my uh, my podcast episode on insomnia you'll learn about how we recharge the thinking part of our brain overnight and we only have a small amount of it anyway so if you've got any of those situations where you've not had enough sleep where you're ill where you're stressed when you're pregnant, all of those things will mean that your brain's not getting fully recharged. So you really are on autopilot. And it's amazing what you can do, but it's also amazing some of the things that get wrong. So when I was pregnant, I uh, bought a DVD when I was in, in the supermarket and it took me two days to find it and I found it in the fridge. <laughs> Obviously put it in there with other stuff. You know, have you ever made a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and you found out that you made it with cold water? It's those kind of things. That you realise you do need a little bit of your thinking brain, but still we function. So those aren't the kind of the, the critical memories that that can cause us issues. The memories that cause us issues are the ones with meaning. And so what happens is your brain stores them as a series of connections, so that you can really quickly go right back to the root memory, the the core memory, or whatever you want to call it. These are sometimes called episodic memories. Everybody has different, they're kind of emotional memories, really. And they're memories with meaning is probably the easiest way of thinking about it. Meaning usually involves emotion. So we can access an emotion and we can follow like a set of fast-falling dominoes right back to the original memory. And, and in some ways, a really clear way of thinking about this for me is if you think of a spider web. The way a spider web works is it's it's got, you know, its structure, and in the center it's got a spider. Now a fly can land anywhere on that web, and it will ping the spider, and the spider will take a path out to the fly. You can get rid of bits of the web, but it'll still ping the spider. And this is why sometimes talking therapies uh, that you might attend can feel like they've made a difference, but over time you still end up with the same problem, because the spider's still there getting pinged. And it also means that things that used to be okay can kind of stop being okay because actually you can land anywhere. So you might gain new situations and new circumstances that your brain updates to go, oh, this is like that one that happened. This is like that one that happened. This is new and different. But it actually, if I want to know what to do with it, I can match it to a previous, more fundamental memory. And so I know how to react really instantly, really easily excuse my language my brain's a bit fuddled right now <laughs> so just just ignore all the things where i kind of get the wrong words and stuff um so i don't have much of my cognitive brain engaged so so you think of it like a spider web right so as long as you have that spider you can go anywhere on the web the web can get rebuilt and it'll get pinged so when you want when you've got a memory that's a tricky memory that you need to change. You need to think of, well, how do I find the spider? How do I find the one that it's pinging back to? Not the one that's triggering it, but where it's going. Kind of need to track back to where it's going. And this is why um, people with dementia or or brain damage can often access emotional memories. I, I think you might have seen the video of the woman, the ballerina in her wheelchair, a really old lady, and they play the ballet music and she just starts moving her arms in the same routine because it evokes that kind of younger version of her. People with dementia can often access younger, more emotional memories. You can look at a photograph. They often mistake people for, you know, their child who are actually their grandchild and things like that. But they can struggle with making a cup of tea. So, so this is all based on the way the brain works. It doesn't work as individual data points. It works as a series of connected meaning-based stuff that takes you back in the worst case scenario to a kind of fundamental significant memory that holds a risk. This is how your brain's structured. And every night while you sleep, it updates that network. It creates threads, loses threads. And, and make sure that you're in the best position to react instantly to any sort of risk as you go through your day-to-day life. There are loads of things that you will just not have stored because you just don't have space and they don't have any meaning and they're not connected to anything. There'll be things, if you're one of a number of siblings or if you have conversations with parents or the people who brought you up, you might talk to them about things that happened, and they won't remember them at all. And you'll remember them really clearly. Because if they don't have the emotion, they have no reason to remember it. So we all interpret these moments in our own way. This is why if you if you show photographs of a trip away to somebody else, they're not quite as ooh and ah as you are. <laughs> it can be quite boring looking at other people's photographs. Because to you, when you look at the photograph, that pathway fires off in your brain. It sparks off and it takes you back to the way you felt. I can look a picture of me in Jamaica, and I can see that I got married in Jamaica. I had a couple of really nice holidays with my husband in an all-inclusive resort in Jamaica. And I can imagine the the breakfast and the cats and the smell of the sea and walking along the beach. I can remember getting sunburnt because I was stupid (laughs) and didn't put enough sun cream on. I can remember the afternoon tea. I can look at one photograph I can even hear the word Jamaica because I'm talking to you now without a photograph in front of me. And I'm there that quickly. Now, it was like mid-90s, late 90s that I got married. We're like 20 plus years since then. But I can be there right now. That's how your brain works. Your brain works as a series of interconnected, meaning-based pathways that the more you travel and the more you're reinforced. And this is fine this is how we work, but it means you can have a problem because you can consciously try and override a behavior that comes from meaning, but you always end up doing it in the end anyway because it's happening subconsciously. It's not a conscious thing. While you're consciously in control, you can override it, but the minute you run down, the minute you're tired, then it wins. So a really simple example of this would be a relationship with food. There was a survey done by Age Concern about fondest memories that people have of their grandparents. And in the top five memories, I think the top two were related to the food they had when they were with their grandparents. Now, if you think about this, if I sit down, you know, my my granny was apparently a terrible cook. But I used to go and visit her at a time where I wasn't really getting fed at home. You know, my stepmother neglected us pretty badly and couldn't be bothered feeding us. So obviously when I went to my granny's, it didn't really matter what the food was like. It was food, it was lovely. So if I say my my granny's name, I think of porridge with evaporated milk on it and that dark muscovado sugar. And I'm drooling. (laughs) So if you put a bowl of porridge in front of me with all of that on it and say, don't eat that, Dawn, it's not good for you. I'm like, no, I'm going to eat that. (laughs) That makes me smile. That makes me feel good. So food is a classic one where we often don't eat because it tastes nice or it's nutritious. We eat because it has a memory associated with that makes us feel good. Why would you not? (laughs) right if you're struggling if you're stressed, why would you not eat the thing that makes you remind you of something good in your life but then when you're consciously trying to be good and not eat, then you're beating yourself up all the time but you're fighting yourself and that's because your brain automatically is taking you back there again and again it will repeatedly take you back there and you can ignore it and you can override it but it takes conscious effort, which is probably more possible to start than at the end of the day when you've got loads of stuff that's drained your batteries, right? Or when other stuff's going on. That's why usually when we're having a hard time in life, we just like, I'm not even going to think about food right now. It doesn't matter. It's not my biggest issue because it takes a lot of effort. But you see, the thing is, the thing that made my granny wonderful was not that she made a nice porridge. Actually, we could replace that porridge with anything, and my granny would still be wonderful. But your brain is too primitive to understand love and connection when you're a child. It's not developed enough. It has to take a black and white view of things, and so it gets associated with the wrong thing. I once had a client that um, really loved cake just really couldn't walk past cake, basically, and had come to see me and said, you know, I I really can't seem to get over this. And it turned out that their um, father um, used to work away, and whenever he came back, he brought cake. And so this client's memory of their father and the love that they had of him and how much they, they liked having him there was the cake. Their brain was too primitive. To go, it was dad and he loved me, it was like, dad equals cake. Why would you not eat cake if it made you feel that way? So all we did was we replaced the cake in the memory with a teddy bear or something like that. So dad equals love. And a teddy bear, you don't generally eat them. (laughs) So here's the interesting thing. Once we're old enough, we can go back to those memories. And we can change them so we take the meaning away from them. We can't change what happened, and sometimes we don't want to, but we can change the meaning. It's the meaning that gets you back to it straight away. If you change the meaning, the next time your brain is pattern-matching, it won't find that memory because there's no meaning to track back to. So let me give you a really simple example. Um, as I mentioned, when I was younger i didn't get fed a huge amount of stuff so for example when i would eat an apple i would be one of those kids that ate the whole thing except the stalk right at the whole thing totally up and like many kids i had been told that if i eat the seeds eat the pips they would grow trees in my stomach and i thought that would be a pretty cool idea because having an apple tree in my stomach would certainly make me feel more full so i didn't really worry about it so one day I was eating an apple, and I bit into the apple, and I found half a worm sticking out of the apple. And I thought, oh, there's half a worm in the apple. I spat out the bit that was in my mouth, because I figured half a worm's probably in there. And then I carried on eating around that bit of the apple, because you don't waste the apple, right? Now... I've told this story a few times and I, I told the story because somebody once said to me, hey, Dawn, do you want an apple? And I said, no, I don't eat apples. And they're like, how can you not eat apples? And so I told them the story and I realized that my problem with apples is just biting into them. If I actually cut them up, which I've got a really cool gadget that does a spiralizing thing with the apple and peels. It's like awesome. Um, I'm fine with it because I can see exactly what's in the apple. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I didn't eat apples. So I was telling this story, and, and the look of the face of the person was just like, eh <laughs> I'm sure some of you will be like, there, right? But I didn't at the time. But, the, but it does seem like a far more reasonable reaction, doesn't it, that, that you kind of go, that is totally gross, and you know I'm, I'm not doing anything with it and chucking it away. So I kind of thought, well, this was when I was about seven or eight years old. Maybe that's actually what I did, because that would be a far more reasonable thing to react. So now every time I thought about eating an apple, not only did I think about biting in and finding the worm, I actually thought about the reaction that my friend had and the reaction I should have had. So the whole memory changed just like that because I couldn't now unsee my friend's reaction. And the two things got kind of mixed up. Because the memory isn't stored as an absolute form. It's stored as a meaning. And so the meaning has shifted, but the meaning has shifted to make it worse. Well, now we've got a problem, right? So if you think I didn't eat apples before, I definitely didn't eat them now. And that's a bit impractical because I kind of would like to eat apples. So I decided that what I would do is I would imagine that when I bit into the apple, I did find a worm, but it was a jelly sweet worm. You know, the ones that have the red and green color... And, and just, you know, they kind of eat stretchy. <laughs> I imagined I found that. Now, can you imagine how exciting that would be to a child that was starved to bite into an apple and find a sweet inside? And I can just imagine the excitement I would have had to realize I was the person that had found a worm with a jelly sweet in it. So now that's my overriding memory. When I think of biting into an apple, yeah, I remember the worm thing. Yeah, I remember my friend's reaction. But the thing I really remember is biting in and finding a jelly sweet. And that would be really cool to do that. So I can change your, my memory really easily. And your brain is really easy to change because you can't go back in time. There's no time travel, right? You can't go back to that version of you. You can't look at it from other people's perspective, from other angles, and understand it differently. You can't do any of that because your brain has it interlinked with loads of stuff. But what you can do is, as the person you are now, look back on it and see it differently. If you change any detail in a memory, the whole structure of the memory collapses. If you change even the color of a wall in a memory, your brain kind of goes, oh, well, if the wall wasn't the remote color I remembered, then that can't be true, and that can't be true, and it all collapses. And then if that's collapsed, everything that's linked to it also can't be true. And in time, because your brain learns through experience and doing, so it takes time, in time, next time your brain tries to access something in the present that matches your past, it won't find that, because it's disintegrated, the meaning's gone. You don't change what happened, you change the meaning in what happened. It's the meaning that's making it accessible, not the event itself in its pure form. So this is very much like don't think of a pink elephant, because as soon as you change changed it, you can't unchange it. You can't unsee it. And actually, because you can't go back and recreate that moment, you can't ever build it back the same as it was. It would just be restructured based on what you now know, which has to be different. Now, this is why sometimes in some talking therapies you can end up in a far worse state because actually what this way of, it's called reconsolidation theory, this way of updating and reframing, if you're doing it with an expert, a white coat person, a a psychologist who's following, you know, the diagnostic manual and, and telling you what they think, telling you what it means, then what they're doing is when you pull your memory forward, they're adding their knowledge, their information. And if they're doing it in a, you know, I hesitate to use the word judgmental, but it it can come from a place of knowledge of I know better than you um, what's going on here. So let's say that you get really anxious around people. So you might be speaking to somebody and telling them of an experience you had. And that person who is the expert on this says, you know, that is social anxiety. So now your memory has attached to it this label of social anxiety. And let's say this person says, you know, that is just your brain's need to get attention. So now you have something that is, excuse me, I'm gonna cough. (coughs) Something that is stressful, makes you anxious, you now have a label for it that says it's social anxiety, so it has all the associated things that go with it. And you have, with that memory attached, the thoughts that you're causing the problem yourself. It's not really going to make it go away, is it? <laughs> now, what happens then is that memory that you've just pulled out to show to this person gets put back in your head, but it's bigger now. It's bigger with more meaning, with more understanding, which means next time you're in any situation that's similar, Your brain goes, whoa, this is just like that really big thing that we've got in our head. And it just keeps making it worse. So the trick is, if you do bring something forward that has meaning, you always make it smaller. You always do something to diminish it. Now, for me, it was like the the jelly worm. But there will always be something. Your goal is to make it a bit silly, a bit ridiculous, to reframe it. And because you can't not think of a pink elephant, the minute you have any idea, you will change it. I had somebody who changed a memory so that there was a slug with a top hat in it the other day. I had somebody who changed a memory the from being hurt to being tickled with a feather while standing on a bouncy castle. Doesn't really matter. So so here's a few simple ways to do it. So the first thing is, if the memory involves somebody speaking or saying something to you, then you can change the memory by making their voice ridiculous. Good voices to choose. Donald Duck. Now, interesting thing about Donald Duck, when he gets mad, his feathers go red. How is that even possible? Anyway, um, a minion. I like the minions because you think you understand what they're saying, but they're taught. Total nonsense or um, like somebody's breathing a helium balloon, which it's really hard to take anybody seriously if you're talking in a helium balloon voice. So if you've got a memory that involves somebody saying something, especially if it's a, a parent or somebody that was supposed to care for you, who told you something about not being good enough or not loving you or something like that. if you imagine them saying it in a really silly voice? It has to change the meaning It's very hard to take it seriously. And if you don't take it seriously, it doesn't hurt. And if it doesn't hurt, there's no need for your brain to remember it. It can just become another one of the millions of memories. And it's that easy, and it's that ridiculously easy to change a memory. So if you've got a voice in it, change the voice. Now, if you've ever watched Harry Potter, there is the ridiculous spell with the boggart, right? So this is the scene in Harry Potter where they line up for the um, wardrobe, they let the boggart out and it's their worst fear, right? And they have to make it ridiculous and then it makes the boggart disappear. This is the same thing. If you haven't watched Harry Potter Potter, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But the idea is that when you bring a memory forward, it is not relevant anymore but it is causing your problem today. It is constantly causing your problem. So the goal is if you change that, then everything that's linked to it will be changed and it won't trigger your brain to switch off. So you're changing the voice or you're making it just a bit silly. And trust me when I say, go with what comes to mind. Don't worry about it. Just say whatever comes to mind, as I say, slug in the top hat, whatever. For me, a jelly worm in my apple made sense. And now it just can't have the same thing. Now, obviously, I've talked about it lots, so I've kind of locked it in more. But if I hadn't talked about it so much, then I would have not even remembered the incident with the the apple and the worm in the first place. I was once um, doing a video to explain this um, because I have a fear of cows. Well, I had a fear of cows. I had a fear of cows because when I went for walks with my granny, they chased the dog. And um, I've had countless times where we've been running away from cows and then we thought we were safe in another field and they came through a gap in the hedge and they're just snotty animals and, and i was uh, <laughs> i was doing a video to explain how we could reframe memories i can't even remember what i did but i stopped being afraid of cows <laughs> i sorted it out <laughs> so so memories are really interesting things so so the key to remember is that there's nothing stored in its absolute form your brain is just not capable there's way too much information so it's all interlinked and most of it's linked back to the very earliest, you know, before you were 16 years old, when you were having to learn the things that would keep you safe as an adult. So there will be something and you can trust whatever pops to mind because that, that thing pops to mind. Of all the things that could, there's a reason. There's a reason you can access this. It's not like Freud said, it's not very deep. If it was buried deep, it wouldn't get in the way right so this is stuff that sits close to your conscious awareness but maybe just outside of it if you can find those memories you can change them even the biggest memories can be changed if it's really really a traumatic memory and you just like there is no way I can make this ridiculous then you can just mess with the way it's stored you can zoom in you can zoom out you can make it black and white you can make it color you can make it blurry you can go fast forward or fast rewind if it's a video clip, you can just mess with it. And, and once you've messed with it, you can't unmess with it. And when it's not stored in the same way, that everything that's linked to it cannot be true anymore. So in back to the spider web, you're just getting rid of the spider. And it might take you a while to realize that there's, no, there's nothing to trigger back to because it's not that you've deleted what's happened. It's just not causing a reaction because it's not got the meaning and the emotion. So memories are powerful things. If you're struggling to do something, it's because your brain switched off, taking you back to something that had meaning. But that meaning is not true today. Whatever it was, that meaning is not true today. So you can mess with the meaning in the memory. And then that will stop your brain switching off. So if you've got um, a particular food that you find it really hard to resist, you know, if you eat too much chocolate or you snack on too many crisps, You can actually use this to go back and just, you can maybe work out why the first time you remember being comforted by those foods and take the food out of the memory and replace it with something like a a comic or drawing or a teddy bear or something like that. Or you can just imagine that the food is something really that you don't like. Think of a food that you really don't like. Imagine every time you move that towards your mouth. You smell and taste this other food, and then move it away and move it towards your mouth, smell and taste the other food. It's actually a really powerful way of of changing if there's a particular type of food that you just find you can't resist. But bear in mind, you shouldn't do it for things like um uh, onions or tomatoes or things like that that are often in other dishes, right? This should be used for for chocolate or crisps or whatever, but you know you're going to make yourself not want to eat them at all. And and that might be inconvenient if you're around them and somebody else eats them and things like that. So my advice is you can do that and it might give you a nice quick fix, especially if it's really winding you up. But the best thing to do is try and work out where the association came from, like me and my granny and, and the porridge or toasting crumpets on the fire with her. You know, it's, it's those things. I don't really like crumpets. I get an earthen wheat box every month and it's always got crumpets in it. And they're all right, but they're a bit boring. But every time I eat a crumpet, I think of toasting it on the fire with my granny after we've been on a long walk. And suddenly it's kind of a magical beast. You know? <laughs> and I eat it and go, ah, that's not really what I wanted. So, so our brains store things as a series of interlinked meanings. And it's the meanings, the miscalculation and the meanings that causes all the problem. And it's the meanings that can change. And you can do it for yourself, but it's really hard. Okay. don't don't expect to find this easy, because the minute you're in your memories, your thinking brain is switched off, right? You're in an emotional subconscious state. So it really helps to have an external guide, somebody like me outside of you that can kind of keep hold of you while you while you do that exploration and maybe give you a nudge and help you with with changing things. But it is possible. Just realize that there's nothing that's true. There's nothing false either, by the way. It's just made up by your brain. And all you ever need to do is think about those times where you compare memories with somebody else who was there and they either don't remember the thing at all or remember it in a totally different way to you. Everything's relative. It's not an absolute truth. Anyway, hopefully you find this useful. Um, give me a shout. If you have tried stuff and you found it worked or you've tried stuff and you struggled, remember I'm here to help if you need any help with anything. I'll speak to you again soon.